take your Bibles, we find the book of Romans. I think it, as I sit here and think about the energy of worship, uh, the energy of our faith has to be alive. We talked about last week how going out of here, I gave you one duty, one responsibility, one prayer. I had different tentacles to that prayer, but one challenge, and that was to go home and to pray and to ask God, not yourself, ask God where your heart is and your availability for God to do something in and through you that maybe you've never done before, your usefulness for that task. Are things in line, in order, in in proper positions and priorities of values in your life? Uh, also, just just how how faithful are you going to be to that task that God may call you to? It really comes down to fitness. Am I fit? Am I ready to to be a part of ministry? Because God is using his, our lives to shape us and to shape us for ministry. God is shaping us, forming us, creating us to make an impact in this world. And uh, I, like, I like what James Allen, psychologist and philosopher, said. It. He said it like this, A person cannot travel within and stand still without. You cannot go somewhere on the inside of your heart where God is working and moving and changing and rearranging and yet be still on the outside. So really, I, I think a legitimate question may be to you, may be to me, is first of all, what is God teaching you? But but even deeper than that, how is what he's teaching you changing you? Because if you're just increasing in knowledge, then you're really just creating this fat kind of obese Christian follower of Christ. If you aren't then turning that that knowledge into an exercise, into fitness, into 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 something else beyond just this increased knowledge. Because Christian faith, let me just say this, Christian faith and I even hesitate to use the word Christian faith because I almost seem like it's redundant. Because at the very core of Christianity is faith. And at the same time, well, I have to use it because I, I feel like we need to redefine what Christianity is. In our culture, I think Christianity has become very flat, very stagnant, very, very non-movement. And, and the Christian faith is movement. All right? It's not just sideways energy. It's not just movement to be, to be moving, but it is about movement. It is about going somewhere and seeing something done in me and around me. This movement leads to energy. And energy will lead to impact. So if you want to go climb back up this ladder, where is your life impacting? Who is your life impacting? Where is your life leaving a dent, a fingerprint on somewhere? Somebody. Well, it's not. Well, the question then would be, well, where's the energy of your faith? And you're not going to have energy in your faith unless you're allowing your faith to move you beyond where you are. There has to be change. There has to be movement in, inside of our faith. I like the way the message puts it in James chapter 2, verse 20. It says, use your heads. Do not suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two, and not end up with a corpse in your hands. If you try to separate out your faith from your works, and you just try to make it, this faith is something that I'm believing. I have faith in Jesus that He's going to save me one day. That I'm going to go to heaven when I die. We're missing it. 
we're, 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 we're missing it. It's so much more than that. It's how is your faith moving you? How is your faith generating energy as well as expending energy? And then how is that faith that's generating energy impacting lives? Now, I know that it's kind of some deep questions to, to get into this early in the morning. But I have to jump in today because of what we have going on around us. And I have to jump in today with both feet, so you've got to wake your brain up really quick this morning. That's why we have calisthenics to start our worship uh, today. It's so that there would be movement immediately in your life. So you could wake up and realize that when Peter talks about it, as we talked about last week, and when Paul talks about it, they're both talking about one central thing. Members of a body of believers called a church, and we'll summarize it in one word, church, members of a body of believers are the ministers. You're the ones that create the movement. You're the ones who stir up the energy. You're the ones who make the impact. Okay? If you go to a theater, if you go to a show, if you go to a performance, if you go to a concert, there really there's no expectation on an audience. The expectation is on the stage. Was it a good show? Was it a bad show? Did I laugh or did I cry? Did it, did it give me a warm fuzzy or not? That's not what we're looking for when we talk about movement. Movement creates energy. Energy creates impact. How is my life impacting the world around me? Am I fit and ready for ministry? Take your Bibles and look at the Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to start reading in verse 2. Because in this passage of Scripture, I want to list out for you very quickly, because again, we're going to move beyond the message today. We're going to move beyond, hopefully, just you hearing and move to movement. And so that hopefully movement, again, will create energy, and so the energy will create impact. But to move there, I'm going to give you some starter thoughts. Because, again, to go back to last week's message, and I'm sorry if you weren't here last week to kind of assume that you've heard last week's message, but it was just, this is a continuation. If I'm available, and if I'm useful, and if I'm ready to be faithful for what God calls me to do, now I have to ask the question, am I fit for ministry? And if I am fit to make the impact and to create the energy and the movement that God wants to do in me, then, then I think these parts are, are going to be, these ways will be expressed in my life. And I, and I put it in your notes. It says four ways, active faith. And I want you to take your pen and pencil, and I want you to just scratch through that first word, active. Because really, again, that is redundant. Faith that is not active, that is not in the movement, is not I see as biblical model example of what faith is. Four ways active faith moves you into ministry. One is you're being morphed, okay? You should, there should be a morphing effect that's going on in your faith movement. This morphing effect is expressed in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Now let me just say this, there is a cheapening of your faith. There is a, there is a watering down, if you will, of faith that if you aren't careful, you might settle, listen, for the substitute and not the real thing. It's like drinking Coke versus Sam's Choice. I'm sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't equate. 
If you work for Sam's Choice, I'm sorry. All right, keep working on that one. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we live in a world that we got to understand that, that God is calling us in our faith to be transformed. It's actually a Greek word that we get our word metamorphosis from. You morphed? Are you being morphed? Are you being changed? Is there metamorphosis going on in your, in your life? The, the cheapening effect, the, the synthetic, the, the, the lack of the genuine real thing kind of faith is that the temptation is that we might be conformed. He said don't, do, don't, 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 don't settle for confirmation. Are being conformed, okay? Don't settle for that. That's the cheap version. If you think about being conformed, you might think about something being pressed around something, being shaped or formed like some ceramic thing you might do as a, as a, as a kindergartner or, or at day camp or something like that when you do some kind of ceramic molding and shaping. But really on the inside of that ceramic piece of, of art, if you call it that as a child, that ceramic piece of art, it's hollow. Oh, on the outside, it looks really good. On the outside, if you get the right person really doing the right, the right ceramic work, it can be beautiful and it can look real and lifelike, but on the inside, it's hollow. There's no escaping that. It's hollow. He says, don't be conformed. See, the world in which we live is constantly trying to conform us. Madison Avenue wants us to conform to their dress code. Um, Wall Street wants us to conform to their financial thinking. Our friends want us to conform to their time schedules and their priorities. The food industry wants us to conform. Maybe there is some substance on the inside of that part. But it wants us to conform to, 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 to their eating habits. There's a constant world in which she's calling us to be shaped by them. I want us to be aware of that. Because that is the putting on. That's the external of the world. That's externally uh, being shaped by the world. That's the putting on effect. We don't want to be putting on. All right? Beware of that one. Because that is a serious temptation that we face. Four out of five Christians were surveyed by Barnum. Asking them, I'll give you four of five. Uh, finding out that... that Four of the five who professed to be Christians said that at a very high level of their life, they had a commitment, a top priority of their life was committed to their Christian faith. Now that sounds pretty impressive there. Four out of five naming, claiming Christians say that Christianity is a high priority to their life. In that same study, when asking about their values and their commitments and where they prioritize their life and listing out of their priorities, only one in five of them listed a faith-related element as a priority in their life. Barna put it into one phrase. He says, there's sentiment without substance. We have a whole lot of conforming in Christianity. We're we're, we're a whole lot of the plaster-faced Christian faith. But I'm afraid there's not a whole lot of the true, deep down transformation that God calls us to. If we're not supposed to put on, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to put out. The put out is that internal 
changing that happens inside of us, that putting out of our life is when the internally by the Holy Spirit, He begins to work on the inside of us, changing us, morphing us, rearranging us, changing our values, where no longer are we just saying, hey, I'm a Christian. But it's affecting my relationship. It's affecting how I relate in my relationship. It's affecting my money. It's affecting the priorities of my money. It's affecting my giving. It's affecting my time. It now begins to affect you. This is now deeper than that internal little bit of changing. Excuse me, that external little bit of cosmetic changing. It is deep. It is being transformed. It's what he calls us to in Romans 12 too. I think about my own life. Back in 2009, uh, the late part of 2009, and some of y'all were obviously here during that time, so you know what, what, when I start saying this, you'll know what I'm talking about. But God began to do a transformation work in my life towards foster care and adoption and those elements. And you, some of y'all know about the, the journey to Africa and back and forth and, and the whole issue with memory and, and the thing that, that, that happened in that, and sometimes you have to separate yourself from time and distance to look at it and to see what happened there. And I really believe what God was doing was something deeper than just some kind of cosmetic look. Because I could have listened. I could have stood up here and preached a message, a sermon to you about how you need to care and tend to the orphans of this world. And I could have nodded my hat, throw some money at the, at the mosaic ministry, gone on like that, and it never really changed and affected me. But whenever God got into my life and I allowed Him to begin to rearrange and got into Lori's life and got into our children's life, we have now got a totally new perspective and value system in the McDaniel household. Totally new. There's a new paradigm in the McDaniel household. What happened? I wasn't conformed to some kind of image on the outside that looked good and right and smelt right. But actually God began to do a work. We took our perfect little family and our perfect little home and we began to see that, God, you wanted to do more in our perfect little family and our perfect little home. You wanted us to create space for somebody who didn't have a home, somebody who doesn't have a family. And we don't know where that's going to go. We are in the foster care system, which system in government means broken. Kind of like health care system, it's going to be broken. All right? I'm political here. But uh, it's, it's a mess. I'll just leave it like that. But we're abs, abs, actually opening up our hearts and our lives to a new priority, to a new paradigm. Not because it's something that, that we created, something that God is wanting to do in me. Where, where is He changing you? Where are you creating time and space and, and energy and movement in your life for God to work? And maybe it's not opening up your home, but maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's someplace around the world. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just on the side of that sheetrock. To open up your life to be used for however and wherever God would want. Be transformed that you can become a transformer. Number two, if, if you're going to be fit for ministry, fit for God to use, you must downsize the ego. All right? There's a little bit of ego that comes into play too often that I think keeps us and hinders us 
from, from becoming and being a part of the movement that, that God calls us to. And it's really downsizing ourselves. And the downsizing, if you look at, again, Romans chapter 12, he calls us to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then if you go over in verse 3, he calls us again, For by the grace given to you, I say that everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Three different times in one verse, and then if you go back to verse 2, when he talks about the transformation, where does it start taking place? It starts taking place in the mind. So it's how we think. And sometimes, and Paul jumps in and he tackles a very big issue. He says, sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That we put ourselves too big on the world, too big in this world that we're not able to be used by God. Let me just give you a statement. Somebody gave this to me early, early on in my ministry. He said, Mike, if you're too big for the little jobs, you're too little for the big jobs. If you can't get in and clean a toilet, if you can't get in and change a dirty diaper, if you can't get in and take out the trash, if you can't do a job when nobody's looking and nobody's applauding, then you don't need to be ever center stage. You're too small. And see, what happens is we kind of get into this mold of, of, you know, that's a little job and that's not good use of my time and energy. Well, in reality, God wants to, wants to use us by His grace and the gifts that He gives us, but sometimes we hinder ourselves. When the disciples were pushing the children away, what was Jesus doing? He was calling the children to Him. What a contrast. But yet when it comes down to the time of due ministry, in our church walls. And next week we're going to talk about ministry outside of our church walls. When we talk about ministry to the family and ministry to the body as we focus on today, as we talk about that, one of the greatest needs, we have over a hundred needs because the children need it. Because that looks so insignificant. And I don't have time or I'm not good. And, and we, we give almost this false sense of humility when God is calling us to a very significant ministry. But when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, then prominence trumps significance. And we've got to be careful that prominence doesn't trump significance. There's a, there, there, there's, a, there's a temptation there that being center stage and being here is a prominent position or being here or having my name on a certain committee or a certain group of individuals or, or being on the body life board and having my... You know, we think of this prominence thing as, as if, if, I'm prom, if it's not prominent, it's not significant. And that's wrong. But sometimes it's the insignificant positions in this world that make the greatest impact in life. Now, I'm going to do a test here, and it's absolutely, I have no clue where it's going to come, where it's going to go. It may flop, okay? So, we'll see. I want you to think about somebody in your life, and let's, 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 let's keep it in an age range. Let's talk about your school years, all right? Time of your growing up years, your most formative years, your most, the years that shaped you and have put you on a course that you're even still on today to a degree. Think about the person in your life that shaped you the most outside of your mother and your father. Okay? Think about it. Who shaped you outside of your mother and your father the most? I'm going to give you a, a category, and you tell me 
if this is the category. All right. Let me ask you this. Do you, does everybody have a face or a name? Do, do this. Okay. All right. Most people do. All right. Was that person a teacher or a coach in your life? Raise your hand. I would say most people. It is amazing that some of the teachers, if you were giving me Miss Smith, Mr. Jones, this, that, if you were giving me their names, you know what? They're not significant people. Excuse me. They're not prominent people. But are they significant in your life? They were the most significant person outside of your family. So we got to think again. When it comes to an opportunity to teach children to hold a baby, to love and sing songs, or not sing songs if you can't sing, but hum a song, to do a gazoo or something like that with a song, or to, or to greet someone, or to make a difference, is your life making a significant impact? in other people's lives. That only comes through humility and not through pride. G.K. Chesterton said it like this, Humility is the mother of giants. One sees great things from the valley, only small things from the peak. Are you on the mountain, high and mighty? Are you in the valley with common everyday people investing your life in common everyday lives? What a significant impact. It will keep you, if you have this big bloated ego, it will keep you from ministry. Also, you are unified and diversified, all, all rolled up in one. It's learning the value of unity and the value of diversity at the same time, being unified under one common umbrella, under one common mission. If you look at, uh, if you look at uh, again, Paul's writing in verse 4, he says, For as in one body, we are many members. In one body, we are many members. The, the idea here is that, that, that there's a lot of us and there's a lot of diversity within us. But at the same time, there's only one of us. There's only one Grace Point Church, but yet at the Grace Point Church, there's lots of us. And so how are we? We are coming together. We are united together in one body. We are members. And the members do not all have the same function. So there's a lot of diversity in us. So we, though many, are one. Again, you see this diversity and unity coming together. And individually members of one another. Having the gifts that differ according to the grace we are so different, and yet we are so much together. There has to be unity in a church. Unity, is, you cannot compromise in that area. And the thing is, is that when, you, when you, you can't rock the boat when you're helping to row it. Just remember that. When we're all together, we can truly make a difference. But when we're standing up in the boat, barking orders, griping and complaining, we're not going to make much of a difference. One, one church, one mission, but yet there's diversity. We're, we're so different. The Bible says so much about unity and coming together and the difference. And it, says more about, it says more about unity than it does about heaven or hell. Unified in your marriage, unified in the church, unified around a mission, unified around a purpose. We are one, but yet we are many. And out in the Midwest, one, many years ago, they used to do cattle pools, ox pools, and and, and, and just different kinds of, uh, uh, of competitions. I've even been to tractor pools. Anybody ever been to a tractor pool? 
See what tractors can pull. I mean, you're you're hick if you've gone to a tractor pull. All right, uh, you go to P Ridge, you go to a mule jumping contest. I mean, so you're really hick then. But um, but there was this this out in the Midwest, there was this great big competition, and all, everybody brought their 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 their, their, their oxen and and their horses, and and they had this great big pull, and the grand champion got lined up, and they just kept loading on his on his on his flatbed, and and he kept pulling pound after pound after pound, till finally he 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 stopped at 4,500 pounds, is what he he could pull along. The second place was 4,400 pounds. So the, the, the competition was, be, was between the two and only separated by 100 pounds. Separately, they, these, two, these two huge horses were able to pull 9,000 pounds. They, they, then they did a test. They put these two horses together. And they had loaded up the oxen. They loaded up the carts. And they loaded it up. And they loaded up past 9,000 pounds. Which what they could pull individually, collectively together, what they could pull was 9,000 total. But when they brought them together and they knit them together and they put them on the same mission together, they were able to carry over 12,000 pounds. What was the story behind that? Surely we're smarter than a horse. No, that's not it. But surely we can see the value that when we come together as a church around a common mission, a common goal, a common direction, what a difference and an impact in this world we can make. But if our pride is, is too great and if it's all about my, my agenda and not about one purpose, one vision, one direction in this diverse body that we, that we exist, if it's not about being transformed from the inside, listen, there's nothing that will rob you of the joy of your ministry more than just being conformed. Because basically what you bring to the table is emptiness. A cosmetic look, but an empty heart. But when you are being transformed, you are coming full. What's God doing in your life? Finally, there's one other thing that shows that you're fit and ready for ministry. And Paul brings it out here. And And that is, are you exercising your gifts? Are you exercising your gifts? God has given you a gift. We talked about this last week. There's so much in Scripture that talks about the gifts that He gives us. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Would you read that with me? Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now say it like this. I have been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has put His Spirit in you to manifest Himself through you. Movement, energy, impact. Sound familiar? He has put His Spirit inside of you to do a work through you for what? The common good. God wants to use you for the good of the whole. And you look at 1 Peter 4.10. I want you to read this with me as well. 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Put it to work. Put it in action. And then if you look at verse 6 of the passage that we're looking at in Romans 12, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You have a gift. We talked about that last week. The shape. You have spiritual gifts. You have passions. You have abilities. You have experiences. 
that you can bring to the kingdom of God that God has allowed you to have and His Spirit is working in you to manifest it. Not what Paul says and what Peter says. Peter says, employ Him. Employ that gift. Put it into action. But then Paul comes back and he's saying the same thing. He's saying, use it. Put it into work. Whatever your gift is, put it into work. If you go on down in verse 7, it says, if service, if that's your gift, in our serving. If one who teaches, if teaching is your gift, then, then do that. If exhorting or encouraging people, well, then do exhorting. If, if, if it's one who contributes, and there's some of you in this room who have the gift of giving. Man, don't hold back. Give. Give your time and your talents and your treasures. Leading. Some of you all have, are gifted, accomplished leaders. And to not use your leadership skills in God's kingdom is really not using your gift for the common good of the kingdom of God. Mercy. Whatever it is that God gives you. Whatever your gift is. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. First Corinthians has its list. Whatever your gift is, find it, use it, employ it for God's good and glory. woke up last night one of those short night sleeps and and I was thinking about about the message I thought how how can I illustrate this and, and I think back to whenever Lori and I moved to, to Zambia in, in 1997 and how in, in about this time 13 years ago Jim took me to Sears and bought me a thousand dollars worth of tools now I am not proficient still to this day with using tools. In fact, it's dangerous uh, for me to use tools. But he knew where we were going. He knew what we would need. And he he just bought me a $1,000 worth of tools. Craftsman tools, he said, I'm going to get you the good stuff. You take care of them the, you, all your life. Still got them today. Still using, still using them. Still have them today. Use some. Sparingly. But when we were going over there, we had we were going to a very primitive area, a developing area, and, and we knew that it would be left on us. And so one of the things I bought for myself with all these great tools was Time Life Series Fix-It-Yourself kind of books. All right? So, and sure enough, when we got over there, the first thing that happened is our refrigerator broke. Uh, in fact, it's a brand-new refrigerator. It didn't work. I had the tools that I needed to get into the refrigerator to get somebody who had Freon to help fix the whole leak and so forth. The very first thing that Lori did, and we moved in in October, is she just started bringing me every little thing that had a plug-in on it. And I began to become my own electrician, fixing the plugs because the plugs didn't match the plugs over there. And so all of a sudden, then it was Christmas time. And, man, I'm all about paying that little guy to fix, put together all the toys. Uh, but I was the little guy that had to put together all the toys that year. Glad I had my tools. You know what? If you might look at this metal building today, you might think of it as a toolbox. And you might look at your life, you might think of your life as a tool. You know what? The, the tools that, that Jim bought for me at Sears that day in the spring of 97 were tools that got me through life, made my life better, easier, able to do and exist. And I think about you. And I think about you are a tool that God wants to use that He is going to put His Spirit in, that He wants to manifest Himself through. And if I am just a pretty tool in a pretty toolbox, then what real good am I? But if I'm actually being employed 
used, as Paul said, employed, as Peter said, what difference I might make with my life for the good and the glory of God. And then this was like one in the morning kind of thought. And then I began to think about our church. And it was just one idea after another, one example after another. And I thought, you know what? We have a beautiful church that has been for so many years been faithful to this, and they're still faithful to it. When I think about the mothers and the dads and the, and, and the occupational therapists and the, the different people in our church who have come together recently to develop a, a, a different kind, a more si- um, sensory sensitive, I say that word, those two words fast, sensory sensitive worship service during the third service for our sensory challenged children that we have in the church and beyond. What a beautiful using your life in ministry to God. And it was beautiful this past week when we got an email from a mother who basically had been unchurched because they couldn't bring their children to church. And yet they had an awesome time last week, and I'm anticipating them being here again this week. But that is families using their gifts for the kingdom. My thoughts just kept rolling thought of Andy Johnson and how he used to be a script writer or work with production of sitcoms in, in, um, in Hollywood. And yet now he works with us in our drama area. I think about Dan back here who is helping us analyze data in our church to help us to understand who we are and where we're reaching and where we're not reaching and how we can be better at that. I think about the Watkins in the back and how every North Point class, I never have to worry about, are we going to have food? Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to be able to take care? But we can give our families that come through North Point a meal. He and his kitchen crew get in there and serve. Never have to worry about it. Again, these are the thoughts I'm thinking early in the morning. I'm thinking about our various techies upstairs. That Many times you don't see them, but they're here for all three services. And they're putting, helping to create an environment so that you can fill it with your worship. I think about Randy and Kelly Roebuck, who truly are in the business and the financial world, and yet they felt and sensed a call. I guess it was last year, wasn't it, Sarah? To be a part of our children's preschool ministry, and they're priceless in that area. The Perrys and how they have served for so faithful for so many years, serving the children in our children's area. But not only our children, as Lee Otter put it, our children's workers as well. Or the Kaufelts who work their fingers to the bones during one weekend. And how they served there and made the job so much easier for so many other workers that again, prominence or significance? Prominence, no. Significance, yes. Our biggest weekend, our youth impactful weekend, that happened that weekend. Think about the Bowens Body Life Group and how they invested in our annex building out here, saving us thousands of dollars because they had skilled labor in their body life group to go out there and to turn on the juice so that we could have lights and electricity and and air conditioning and heating. Think about the band and the singers. And you don't know about this. I don't think you realize this. But every week, they're here for a couple hours on Thursday nights. They're here an hour and a half. And I'm talking about children's worship and in here. They're here for an hour and a half before we ever get here on Sunday mornings, and they're the last ones to leave on Sunday, and every one of them are volunteers. 
You talk about a life trying to make an impact. Talk about a life using skills. Talk about volunteer hours. We couldn't pay for that if we if we had to. We couldn't pay for it. I think about Bob Coffey and Dan Malik and and how you know we have things that break around here. And uh, when you have when you're using your building seven days a week, you have things that break. You know what? Never have to worry about. Is it going to stand up? Is it going to be fixed the next week? Because we just call them and they keep the vans going. They keep they they volunteer thousands of dollars. And you know what? I know that I am missing you and you and you. But I have to stop. The difference is is that members who realize they're a part of a movement who create energy, they will make an impact. You say, well, how can fixing a hole in the wall that a kid put a, something through there, how is that really making an impact? You know what, that just freed up several hundreds of dollars that we could truly use in missions and ministry. It's amazing how when we come together and we are serving with one another and serving one another, what an impact we can make together. Would you pray with me? Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to think about your availability, your usefulness, your faithfulness to be about a movement that will create energy that will be an impact. What are your gifts and abilities and passions that you could bring to the table to do just that. I'm going to pray and then our offering will be taken at that point. We'll take our offering at that point. And I, and I just want, I want you to just be ready in your heart for that. And we'll come back. We'll have a brief video. And then after that video, we're going to let you dismiss a bit early today to give you an opportunity to go around and to meet and engage in conversation in the ministries that are around this room. Father God, we bow before You. And Lord, this is not a static room with a static faith. But this is a, this is a, this is a movement that You're a part of. Where You take the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the generosity of individuals that You call to be a part of a significant, life-impacting ministry. And Lord, You then give us Your Holy Spirit to make an impact. Lord Jesus, I would pray that today we would allow there to be space in our lives for You to transform us. That we would allow Your Spirit to work through a humble and contrite heart, not an arrogant, busy, I don't have time for you, God or the church mentality. I'm already so busy. I understand that we all are. Lord, help us not to give excuses, but to be useful for your work. And then, Lord, help us to come together as one body, one mission, one goal, one God, one Savior, and serve you with all of our heart in our various and diverse ways and the gifts that You give us. Lord, our life is Yours. Use it as we seek to be a blessing for You. 
in other people's lives. Lord, take our offerings now. The offerings that, Lord, we give with all of our hearts as an act of worship to You. Lord, we love You and we bless You. In Jesus' name, amen.